0: Remember the passion you felt doing that particular thing you always loved to do when you were a kid, whether it was to laugh or to love or to explore, to play or create? Those passions weren't just you being a kid. They were gifts of clarity. They're the desires of your heart authentically expressed. Hi, I'm Courtney Cole, and this is the Love Freak Podcast where we remember who we really are and what we've come to this planet to create. It's here we make a choice, love or fear. It's here we choose to vibrationally realign ourselves with the truth of our essence, love, 528 Hertz, the love frequency, which therefore allows us to realign with conscious healing, authenticity, and creativity. Don't freak out. This is your true nature. Hey, all you freaks. Welcome back to the Love Freak podcast. This week, I am bringing you superstar basketball trainer and best-selling author, Idan Ravine. He is has such a cool story. And he went to law school. He became a lawyer. Hated it, um, but always had a love for basketball and found every possible way to make doing what he loves his living. Um, many know him as the Hoops Whisperer because he, he has these unique ways of inspiring and training his NBA and WNBA clients to develop and expand their skills. I, I read one article about him that says he even uses a metaphysical approach in his training, which I think is really, really cool. Um, but his mission is really helping athletes transform into their best self. And obviously these methods work because he's worked with some of the world's biggest NBA and WNBA superstars. You might've heard of a few of them like LeBron James, Chris, Paul, Carmelo Anthony, Jr. Smith, uh, Kevin Durant, uh, Dwight Howard and the beloved Kobe Bryant. May he rest in power and peace. Uh, Idan has two books he recently released that everyone should check out. One being The Hoops Whisperer, and the other, a children's book called It Takes Patience. And both of them have the overall theme that our potential is unlimited if we can just stay dedicated consistent if we can trust our intuition and ultimately allow ourselves to expand into our greatness. Uh, He's been featured in Wall Street Journal, Men's Health, Sports Illustrated, New York Times, to name a few. And he's here to share his story and his insight and train us in how we can uh, transform and align with our best selves. So aren't we lucky? Idan, what's up? Thank you so much for being here.
1: Oh, my pleasure. And thank you for the intro. I should hire you as my PR person.
0: Hey, I like being people's hype man, you know.
1: You did a great job, for sure.
0: <laughs> you can't see Idan right now, but he is sitting uh, at, uh, over the high line in New York and it just looks so peaceful and beautiful. Like, oh, I'm so jealous of you.
1: Thank you for having me. So ask away. I'm like, I'm an, I'm an open book.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, Hey, you have such an inspiring story and one that I know that I definitely relate to, and I'm sure a lot of listeners out there can relate to as well, but it's one of striving and seeking and discovering and, and failing and then reinventing and ultimately, you know, aligning with that greatness, the potential, your actualized self. And uh, I'd love for you to just dig in and tell your story and tell us how you got to where you are today.
1: Well, like there's the five second answer when people ask me like how I got where I am and I said, I found something I love to do and I was stubborn enough to believe I can do it. The more long winded answer is that um, when I tell people that I train professional basketball players, they kind of look at me like I'm speaking Turkish. Um, I'm about six feet tall and they weigh about 180 pounds. And when standing next to the NBA players I train, people think I'm either their accountant, their lawyer their financial advisor, their manager, their agent, their publicist. Sometimes I even get confused as their stylist because I think I dress okay,
0: but yeah. never ever
1: their trainer, you know? Um, I never played uh, college basketball. I never played division one college basketball, division two college basketball, division three college basketball, division four college basketball. The last time I played organized basketball was back in high school where I was, I went to a religious Jewish school Um, Where back then, I wore a yarmulke playing against other teams with boys that also wore yarmulkes. And back then, my only dream was to see Duke University coach Mike Krzyzewski and North Carolina coach um, Dean Smith, like uh, walking down the sidelines, both wearing yarmulkes, arguing over whose scholarship I was going to take. But obviously, that never happened, you know. (laughs) Even though my parents are Jewish, we don't know the other famous Jewish families in professional sports. I can assure you that NBA commissioners, Adam Silver and Dave, and uh, Adam Silver and David, I can't believe I just forgot his name, um, do not come to my house for Friday night Shabbat dinners, you know. And even <laughs> though um, in like we just uh, e- even though a lot of the league is Jewish, I don't know any of those people. Um, I'm not the son, the uncle, the nephew, the godson, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, the cousin, the uncle, the homeboy, the former teammate of anyone in professional sports, which is usually how people get a job in that space. Sure. And despite not having any of those sort of typical credentials, I found a way to carve a niche for myself, doing what I love, because I found that I was able to rely on my own intuition and my own sort of cleverness. Um, Mm. And so, you know, growing up, um, I grew up in a religious home. My mom is from Israel. My dad is from Russia, and they devoted their whole entire life to teaching some form of Jewish education, whether that's rabbinical commentary or the Old Testament or Hebrew literature or Judaic studies. And I went to like very very religious Jewish schools, and I kind of turned myself into a really good basketball player because it was something that just made sense to me, and it didn't require my money, my parents to spend money they didn't have. So after school, I'd go to the park, and I would just literally teach myself the game. I would, uh, I take photos from Sports Illustrated to teach myself what it looks like to shoot the ball, and I teach myself how to run and how to dribble and how to sprint, and I literally just turned myself into a really good athlete and a really good basketball player. And when I had opportunities to explore playing basketball past high school, you know my parents looked at me and they said to me that's not what you do so growing up the way i did you could become a rabbi a cantor a lawyer a teacher an engineer an accountant or a doctor so i did what a good jewish boy was supposed to do and i buried basketball in my backyard like it was my pet goldfish and i went ahead and i <laughs> became a baby, you know but me as a lawyer i it just didn't work for me i i wasn't really good at it and it was not what i wanted to do um and you know when you Tend to grow up religious the way I do. You sort of sense, you sort of tend to see things like everything in a form of prayer and answer. So I remember I would sit behind my big lawyer desk, staring at a big pile of lawyer work, wearing my big lawyer suit, and I would just clasp my hands together and I would pray, and I would pray that God would like send down like a lightning bolt, like a yellow post-it on it, and the yellow post would have like a blueprint for my future, and it would tell me, Don, you're supposed to go from A to B to C to D.
0: Sounds a and lot a patient, like my prayers. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I'm a patient person, right? And I would wait for that lightning bolt and I would wait for that yellow post note, but it never came. And so to self-medicate from all the sort of the anxiety and frustration I felt before work, I'd always go to this local YMCA and I would swim a lot in the morning and I would run a lot. And then it would kind of calm me down so I could sit behind a desk for 10 hours. So one day I was, as I was leaving the gym, I saw an ad on a corkboard for a 12-year-old boys basketball team. And I thought, oh man, I, get to, uh, I could do this. I could volunteer two times a week and get out of the office for a little bit. <clears throat> so I jotted down the number and I came back to the office and I volunteered. But since my billable hours were low, I had to convince the managing partner that, like, that he should let me leave the office early. So what I did was I paid for the jerseys and I had the, the name of the firm stenciled on the back. So it looked like it was a bit of business development. And wow. he said, okay, there's no problem. So I left the hour, like, I left the office a couple hours a week and I started volunteering with these kids. Mind you, I never coached anybody before. I never trained anybody before. And what I did was I just gave the kids drills I had created for myself when I was a kid. They were running drills. They were agility drills. They were conditioning drills. They were shooting drills. They were dribbling drills. And I gave them to these kids. And then after a couple of weeks, um, parents started calling me and they'd say, Idan, I don't know what you're doing with my son. And I was like, wait, 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 what are you talking about? And they're like, my son is difficult. He's a spaz. He gets detention, but he's so incredibly focused and he can't wait to come to your practices. I thought, well, maybe I know more than like the dad who's coaching his son's team, right? And so we went undefeated that year, that season. And at the end of the season, a, a parent called me to say, would you come to practice early one day? So I did. I got to practice early and I saw there were a bunch of red cups and pizza boxes stationed at the, this picnic table. And all the kids would pull their allowance money to throw me a pizza party. And I thought, wow, this is kind of strange because 12-year-old boys should be buying video games, not throwing a pizza party for someone <laughs> who should be, shouldn't be eating pizza in the first place, right? <laughs> and then, uh, a parent pulled, pulled me aside afterwards and she said, uh, I don't know what you're doing, but like, you know, I've never seen my children so engaged in anything before. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just a good teacher because I inherited a teaching gene from my parents. So I kept on volunteering with these kids um, whenever I had time. And then one day, I remember coming to the office, and the senior partner um, had called uh, and left a voice message on my on my phone. And I went into his office to see him, and he's the kind of guy that like always had you on edge. Like I could be walking down the hallway, and he could say to me, "Don, what time is it?" And I'd be like, "London time, Paris time, or New York time?" I mean, like <laughs> I was always like, "What does this guy want from me?" Right. So I go into his office and he's holding my memo in his hand. He's kind of like, like kind of waving it like, like, like the Confederate flag or something like he's angry. Right. And so, uh, you know, he asked me a question, I answer it. And he proceeds to ask me the same question about 10 times, each time escalating his voice another decibel. By the 11th time I was like, Hey man, why are you busting my balls? If you want me to change this memo, I will. If you don't, I won't. So he picked up the phone. I know what he was doing. He was calling human resources to kind of, um, uh, file a complaint that I was being insubordinate. I strummed out of the office. Oh, I, no. I took a letter of resignation and I quit. And it was as if 10,000 pounds of the worst smelling dog poop was removed from my favorite pair <laughs> of air Jordan, you know? And I was like, oh my God, I feel so relieved. I feel so relieved. I'm, I'm like, I don't have to be a part of this anymore. So I move home and I'm kind of taking advantage of this bit of a break. And in the meantime, I'm trying to find other jobs but I'm getting no bites. You know, I'm like, maybe business, maybe this, maybe that. And everyone's telling me, no, 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 no. And so my mom just keeps on insisting I go back to law, <clears throat> but I just didn't like law. But ultimately, I, I feel like I'm a good Jewish boy, a good son. So after several months, I, you know, I took a position at a law firm and um, I didn't realize it back then, but it was as if I had gone you know, from the ghetto to the White House. It was an extraordinary, extraordinary place with extraordinary people. I got to see the world. They paid me pretty decent. It was very respectful. But when I took all the lipstick off of it, it was still the practice of law and law just didn't do it for me. But while I was there, I ended up um, running into a couple guys that I used to play basketball with in the park. And years later, they were taller, bigger, faster. Now they were playing professionally overseas. I think maybe one was in Italy, one was in France. And so I said to them, let's go to the gym and work on a few things. Never in a million universes that I ever imagined it would take me to where I am today. And I put them through drills I had created for myself when I was a kid. There were some running drills. There were conditioning drills. There were agility drills. There were basketball-related drills. And they really liked it. They said, can we come back tomorrow? I was like, oh my God, you want to come back tomorrow? Yeah, sure, of course. So then for the next three years, I gave every amount of free time I could to whoever called me. Like it could be late in the morning, early in the morning, on the weekends, you name it. I probably just gave thousands and thousands of hours to whoever asked to want to meet me in the gym. And I never thought anything about, I uh, think of it because it was just giving me so much joy. So I remember like three years later, I'm having lunch with my mom and she asked me in a really thick Hebrew accent if I charge the players that I work with. And I thought, oh my gosh, I, I couldn't even like think about that because my entire life I've been making money doing what I hated. I couldn't imagine getting paid to do what I would otherwise do for free. Mm-hmm. And so um, I just thought about it. And, um, you know, my mom was right. And, you know, my, my mom quotes Deuteronomy and Genesis, but my mom and dad don't really give you financial wisdom, right? And my mom said, you know, you're only worth what they're willing to pay for you. She was right. I just didn't oh. have the courage to even talk about that. So maybe six months had passed. I finally got a call from an NBA player and he asked me if I would work with him. And I said, sure. At the end of the conversation, I said, as fast, as fast as I could, pay me whatever you think this is worth to you. He could have paid me with some Twizzlers, a slice of carrot cake, half a dozen chocolate chip cookies, some Starbucks. Sounds good to me. I would have been super happy. I could have turned around and showed my mom that bag of sugar and she could have left me alone, you know? And I ended up working with him. And then that week, uh, we were sitting down having lunch and he handed me a white envelope that he pushed across the table. And I opened the white envelope and it was a check that had more zeros than I had ever seen. And I felt so uncomfortable. I pushed the check back. I said to him, I can't accept this. I'd like, but this is, I would have done this for free. I do this for free. And he said, no, 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 this is what you worth to me. This is what I want to say thank you for. And I just, I, I couldn't accept the money. It was that we were playing like a paper football. Remember in eighth grade, you'd push the foot, like the paper football back and forth. Is that, it's like what we were doing for minutes at a time. I just didn't feel comfortable taking this money because wow. I didn't feel like I had earned it, you know, because I would have literally done this for free. This wasn't work to me. This was just total joy. And afterwards, he was like, no, you don't. I insist that you take it. This is what you meant to me. And at that moment, it was very poignant when I look back because it represented this very long, convoluted internship I had in myself. I had finally developed a methodology, a philosophy, something that could monetize, something that could quantify and expertise. And then shortly thereafter, I quit law and kind of haven't looked back ever since. And since that time, I've had the good fortune of training some of the most amazing athletes in the world, some of the most amazing entertainers in the world, some of the most amazing people in the world. Uh, I've, I've had had the opportunity to write books, to be on television, to share, to create, to consult, all these sort of like beautiful, beautiful gifts that opened up just because like, I felt like I had the courage to fly, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Oh, it's, <laughs> you're going to make me cry. It's incredible. Like, no, it's
1: uh... a hard belt, you know?
0: Well, it is. And well, and, and, and I feel like it's just so in alignment with you. It's just, you're getting to do what every single person on this planet is striving to do every single day. And you figured out a way to do it. And, and that's why you're here. You know, it's like why I'm talking to you because so many of us, you know, are, are striving to do those things and to see people doing it gives us all hope and you are one of those yeah, people I, appreciate
1: and... it. I think I always have tears talking about that I was so so grateful you know?
0: oh absolutely and you know I, I'm listening to your story and I'm just blown away um you haven't heard this yet but at the beginning of each podcast episode I play the same intro because it's so important to me and I, I say in the intro I say um remember the passions you felt when you were a kid, those passions aren't just you being a kid, they're gifts of clarity and they're, they're the desires of your heart authentically expressed. And I really, really believe that when I was a kid, gosh, like I was creating every chance that I could get. And I still, I'm looking at my setup. Now I have my, my light and my, I'm doing a podcast. I have my microphone, I'm doing music. I have my guitar over here. Like these things haven't changed. I just want to create and yours was basketball. You know, and so I believe that all these passions are these roadmaps to actualizing our potential and they show you which direction to take.
1: Sure. And I think also that. um, For me, basketball is, it's been also more of like an art to me because I don't there's something, you know, when people say, what do you do with the athletes? I say to them, I create symmetrical perfection. Like there's things I look at to make sure things become beautiful. It's not whether the ball goes in the basket. That doesn't matter to me. It's just more like it's just things just have to become beautiful. Beautiful in their movement, beautiful in their preparation, beautiful in their performance. Like that's literally what I'm trying to do is always make something beautiful.
0: Is it almost it's, like a flow?
1: It's, it's-, it's There's a, there's that sort of metaphysical flow, but there's also this, there's almost like I I'm looking for... Like a beautiful flow of water, like just kind of just has sort of continuity and movement and continuity and sequence. Like there's just no ripple, right? Mm-hmm. So you know when I like look, I, I've had the good fortune of working with so many great players, and when I see Stephen Curry work do something that I know we spent years doing, and he does it just beautifully. I go, that's the continuity of the water, right? From the minute like it started, 30 seconds before, and it finishes 30 seconds after. Like water just stop, it just continues to flow. And I think those are the things that I look for when I train athletes. It's like, uh, there is like, you know, there's the small elements that you build, but hopefully with the hope of sort of creating continuity. So when you make, when you sing a beautiful note, people think you're just hitting a note, but it's not. It's the five minutes before the note, it's the five minutes after the note, it's the 30 years of practice that you went into building the notes, right? That wow. is the art in like what you do. And I feel like in kind of what I'm seeking to do as well. And I think what ends up happening is that the more, like I started realizing that I was building my own sort of like, like sculptures. And that kind of made me realize like, you know, that writing is an extension of that as well. And creating is an extension as well. Like it's all, they're all pretty much sort of like consistent with who I am. It's about like, it's about sort of this idea of like storytelling and creativity and art. That's all sort of combined this idea between sport and spirituality and performance, if that all makes sense.
0: That makes a hundred percent sense. And I'm not a basketball player. I'm not a sports person. In fact, I used to play softball and I would eat the grass in the outfield. My dad would yell at me every time. I was just always in the <laughs> head in the clouds. I'm not a, a, an athletic person really in that way. Um, but I do understand that from my journey and, you know, really dedicating time and seeing the consistency and how it's benefited me. It's almost like turning on a faucet consistently and just like letting it flow and just becoming the greatness that I've worked for and worked look, towards.
1: When you, look, when you watch someone play guitar, right, there is the very granular approach that people can see that the fingers like sort of strumming on the chords. Then if you really like take very, very like, far steps away, there's something incredible about how all those fingers move together, about how the foot is pounding, you know, to kind of keep the beat how the person is bobbing their head, how like there is, there is a performance like this, all these different pieces that come together to create this beautiful piece of art, not just finger strumming a chord.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think
1: oftentimes what happens I think in sports is that people become very granular in this. Like yeah. they, they want to look at a hook on the rim or they want to look at the net or where the ball goes in the basket. To me, that's mm-hmm. all that is so completely insignificant. There is incredible beauty in understanding every time of, like a sneaker squeaks on the wood floor, it's making a proper sound. Mm. If it squeaks properly, that means you like, you cut properly. If it doesn't squeak, you didn't cut properly. Like there's such wow. a sensory experience that I find that when you really get good at this, like you're able to see that there's so much to this. So again, like I think it applies to everything that which everything that we do. It's just the better you get at it, you more you realize like how complex it is and how many more things are involved. And oftentimes I give people an example because they think it's I see this a lot in fitness. Like people think it's all about a drill. So on social media, you see lots of people put gimmicky exercises or gimmicky this, or, you know, like, and I thinking, gosh, it's so much more than an exercise, so much more than a drill. And people say, well, well why? And my example is, I watch the Food Network a lot because I find food really interesting. Yeah. And if, uh, if Emeril Lagasse and I had the same cut of steak, the same salt, the same pepper, the same oven, the same temperature, I can assure you his steak will taste a thousand times better than mine. Why? because there's something that he does in the process that is so innocuous, but is so meaningful. You don't even realize that, but he could be flicking the pepper off his third finger to land on the perfect piece on the steak that just the most important piece on the meat to tenderize the meat. Like there's something that they do, which is so much more sophisticated and so much more involved than anything that we ever see because they've been doing this whole life and there's just, they put so much effort into it. And to me, it's the same thing with this idea of like, it's not about a drill. It's about all the stuff that goes into the drill, and all the thoughtfulness and all the expertise and all the experience, right? Mm. It's like, you know, you, you, there's people have a beautiful voice and there's people who are performers.
0: Absolutely.
1: Right? Absolutely. It's two things, right? Yep. There's people who can master a drill. And there's people who can score four goals, you know, for Inter Milan, when right? So it, there's just so much more complexity associated with like art or sports or fitness that only over time and only with commitment and real devotion, do you really get to uncover.
0: I love that. And, and that's really what you're talking to is working toward and actualizing potential, you know, in, in a way. Sure. And, and, yeah. you know, we all know what <laughs> potential initially is potentially, we all potentially know what that is, um, making a joke there. But, you know, to you, like, what is potential? And, and do you think that we encompass our full potential from the moment we're born or is that something that is, is actualized?
1: I don't know. I don't, potential is a strange word to me. I just think like, I don't, I, I think we're sort of all kind of able to do everything. Right. Right. And so I think it's just, um, It's just how much you're willing to do and sacrifice and how much bandwidth you have, right? So oftentimes I think potential is sort of narrowly defined. Like uh, there's plenty of athletes i work with who never thought they would ever play in the NBA because in ninth grade they were cut from their high school team. And I can assure you there's plenty of incredible musicians who never thought they would win a Grammy either, right? So-
0: So true, yeah.
1: Right, so I don't, is it the potential or is it really I think, I don't even like the word potential. I'd rather just, people just live with a life of devotion, right? Yeah. And wherever that devotion takes you, to me, is like, that's, that's like the finish line, Sure. right? Versus, sure. you know, like kind of these sort of goals that kind of will move and change all the time, right? Like, uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess the goal is to live a very fulfilled, devoted, happy, present life right? Um, and then whatever gravy comes from that, awesome, right? Yeah. But it doesn't, like, my potatoes taste like less good if I don't have <laughs> a lot of gravy on it. You know what right. I mean? And that's yeah.
0: kind
1: of, you know, how I see it. So like, look, I've, been, I've had the good fortune of training some amazing, amazing musicians, right? And never once in our time together do they talk about winning Grammys. Really? Right. Never. Their goal is just to make like really beautiful music that lives forever. Like mm-hmm. I can't imagine Ray Charles or Elton John or Billy Joel sat down and, you know, like, or the Beatles sat down in front of their keyboard and thought, I want this song to win me $42 million. And They never quite crossed their mind. Sure. Their goal is just to make beautiful things all the time.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, you know, there's, there's probably people that are, that are listening to us right now going like, Oh, yeah, like, yeah, it takes dedication and doing what you love. But then there's the other side of it, which I know that you felt, I know that I felt, sure. where it's like, okay, well, there's a point where we have to grow up and we have to make money and we have to get a job. Sure. And sure. there's people that yes. are in jobs right now that they absolutely hate. And they're like, I okay. would absolutely love to take the leap and do this and okay. have the dedication, but I have to provide for my family or I have to, sure. what well, would you tell those people?
1: Okay, so this is a very like beautiful segue into why I wrote my children's book. And so uh, the children's book is called It Takes Patience. And for a long time, I had this story in my head um, that I wanted to tell and I just didn't know in what format to tell it. So I remember years ago, um, I was speaking to an audience and a woman asked me, how do you go from being a lawyer to training Carmelo Anthony? And I said, I go, it's like kind of finding, finding your cornbread. And the lady's like, what do you mean? I said, well, imagine like you love making cornbread, right? You're not really good at it, but you just love doing it. And you do it a lot. And you know, for a couple of years, you're making cornbread and it doesn't taste very good, but maybe in the year three, you start making cornbread. You'd be like, God, that's actually kind (laughs) of good. And then finally, like, uh, you know, you share it with your mom. She's like, that's really good. And then the next year you get, Get more confidence with your cornbread. Now you start adding jalapenos to it. You start adding like honey to it. You start like kind of sort of like being a little bit more free with your cornbread. And then you're, you know, you have a dinner party and people come over and you share your cornbread. They go, oh my God, your cornbread is really good. And you're like, oh my God, thanks so much. And then the next year you start, you know what? I'm going to put my cornbread into cupcake tints. Maybe that'll be different. And you have another dinner party. and They go, oh my God, that cornbread is really, really good. And you're smiling. You're just having fun making your cornbread. And then one day you're going to have another dinner party and someone's going to say, hey, um, can I introduce you to someone? You're like, sure, sure, sure. And they're going to introduce you to someone and they ask, you know, if you could make some cornbread from them. And let's call her Lily. And Lily asked, you you know, can, can you make me some cornbread? She said, sure, of course, I'd love to make you two loaves of cornbread. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, you're going to go to your mailbox and there's going to be a white envelope in the mailbox. And Lily had paid you for your cornbread.
0: Wow. And so what
1: I truly, truly believe is is that when you're devoted to something, truly devoted to something, eventually it will get good. And eventually it'll it'll get to a point where it's so good that you don't even have to ask, someone will pay you for it. Mm -hmm. And when I wrote It Takes Patience, uh, the idea Mm -hmm. was it's about um, a little girl who lives in the Appalachian Mountains with her mother and her grandmother. And her grandmother, um, she loves her grandmother's cornbread. And this idea was uh, her grandmother gives her like, an order. She says, patience, I want you to find your cornbread. And the little girl spends her, you know, the time in the book trying to figure out how to make cornbread for herself. The ultimate message is, is that there is no right, there's no wrong. It's about devotion. It's about your own struggle. It's about your own self-reliance. It's about your own creativity. And eventually you will find your cornbread. So yes, yeah, so are there realities of life about having to pay the bill? Sure, absolutely. But it doesn't mean that in your spare time you can't find your cornbread, right?
0: Absolutely. That
1: means living a full life, right? And I do, I'll do. swear this on everything I believe in. Ultimately, one day, you get really good at it. I don't know if it's tomorrow or in six months or six years. There will be someone who says to you, I'd like to pay you for your cornbread. Whether that's your music, whether that's mowing the lawn, whether that's training them at the gym, whether that's like, Something, someone will offer to pay. And at that moment, you will have found your cornbread.
0: That is so powerful. Uh, you because I'm sitting here thinking about myself and I'm thinking about the times and I know that people out there are thinking the same thing. They're stuck in this job. They have to pay the bills and they're going, they're, they're waiting, they're waiting, waiting, waiting. They're doing the thing and, and they're doing a job they hate. And they're going, gosh, I don't know how much longer I can be patient or if this ever going to come, you know, and, and you get to a point where you're like, wow, I feel like a failure, you know?
1: The thing is, is that it's about finding the joy in what you're doing. Like, yes, like, do people have jobs they have to, of course, right? But that's why I always encourage people before you come up with a business plan and raising funds and all that, just find something small that you enjoy. And just give it some time.
0: Mm, you know, absolutely. not everyone's
1: supposed to be Mark Zuckerberg and not everyone's supposed to be Bill Gates. and Not everyone's Aretha Franklin.
0: Yeah. 100%. It's like, right?
1: But I tell you what, like, I can assure there's someone everywhere, everyone who's listening to this, someone likes something, no matter how silly it might be, right? And And they
0: might feel like they can't do it because it is too silly or- It's silly.
1: Just give it time because there is joy in that because you find joy in that. Maybe it's you like bowling. I don't know what it is, right? Maybe you like polishing bowling balls. But if you (laughs) give it enough time, one day you're going to be good at it. One day you're going to be really good at it. And one day someone's going to offer you something for it. Well, does it mean you're a millionaire? That doesn't mean something. But I will promise you it's about like, it's about becoming devoted to what you enjoy.
0: And And there is joy
1: in that devotion.
0: Yeah. And I think that you're so right. It just takes the patience. And when we give up too quickly, and we don't have the patience, that's when that feeling of failure comes. And um, I've seen you talk about this online. And I'd love for you to talk about here. You talk about someone asked you what is failure. And I'd love for you to kinda go into that and talk about what failure is to you and if it really is is failure really failure?
1: I don't know. I think failure to me is like when you just don't have the willingness to try, right? Like I don't measure failure by a bad game or like a bad like song or that's I think it's just it's just about kind of an effort and trial. Like, um Shit, there's lots of stuff I'm not really good at. And there's lots of stuff I took me a long time to get pretty good at, you know? Like I probably wrote the Who's Whisper a thousand different times. Like I'm not a Pulitzer Prize winning, you know, Harvard educated, masters of the fine arts, like writer. No, but but my failure would have been never trying, you know, like, Uh, um, and I found that oftentimes I don't have the patience to wait on someone to give me a gift. Yeah. So I just try to do it myself
0: right? See, that's the cool thing too. And that's what I love about you and is, is, you know, you weren't, maybe you weren't, or maybe you were naturally gifted at basketball. I don't know, but growing up, but you read the the articles and you were doing the research to make yourself better.
1: I found joy in it, right. With never, with no, with no destination other than like, like I just found real joy in it. And like, I struggle like everyone else in living in the moment and being present. God, absolutely. I struggle with that looking back, when I'm in the gym and when I was in the gym, like time seemed to stop. Like it just it just felt so joyful. No matter, I'm sure when, when you sing as well, right?
0: Yeah. And like,
1: I know there's something that we hear that all the time that sounds so cliche. And so like, what is living in the moment? It's just like, gosh, it's just really just breathing in that joy. You know? Being in that I joy remember.
0: and giving it a chance. You know, not yeah, quitting. Like- not quitting, letting it expand and learning.
1: Like I know this will sound like kind of a weird description, but it's the only way I can explain it. And I've been sort of doing virtual training with clients, you know, and when I had the opportunity to see one in person, after all this time not seeing them, I felt like I could chew the air. Like mm. it felt so absolutely extraordinary to be around like in front of them and like like it felt because I was so removed, right? And it, like it just felt like I was so present. I felt like the air had a taste to it, like Wow. I like everything just felt like life, alive, you know? And, and I think through these tough times that we're all dealing with, it's part of what I've been trying to do is just kind of remember that, right? Yeah, and just, of just, you know, and like uh, find joy in those small moments and find joy in my devotion and find joy in exploration. And gosh, like, you know, whether we make, a dollar with our gift or whether we make a trillion dollars with our gift like who cares
0: yeah it is true and you might have to have another job along the way but i sure. i really feel like failure is not failure in a sense of yes if you quit you fail because you didn't try right so you're not gonna it's it not going started. to ex- it never, it never started. Star- Yeah, exactly but i feel like when you get a job um in one thing, or for me, I'm like, wow, this seemed really pointless at the time, but I learned this skill because I needed it here. And it kind of like evolved that purpose a little bit. There was a, uh, actually a lady that was on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. Um, and she said this quote by Patrice Washington. Um, she said, purpose evolves. And it's just yeah. like, you know, yeah. when, when you're, when you keep trying and striving, you gain all of these skills in the process.
1: And I think also when you know, when we look at a job as a dead end job, I think we're also not being in the moment and not being grateful either, right? Because Ooh, it, is great that point. Job. it is that job that helps you pay the rent. And it is that job that lets you pay for groceries. And it is that job that lets you spend four hours on a Saturday playing music, right? So all those things like, gosh, there's people in the world who are really suffering, you know? Yeah. So the idea that we have a shitty job, okay. Well, I've had shitty jobs too, you know? But yeah. it allows, it's temporary, right? And it allows temporary. you to do lots of different things in the meantime, right? And yep. I think it, about, um, I don't know, this like sort of exercise in gratitude, this exercise in presence, this exercise in uh, um, knowing that it's arrogant to think you'll be good in the beginning. You know, I, I, I worked with this very, very, very famous guy, right? And he would get so frustrated in our first couple sessions. And I said, you know, man, if you've been doing this 10 years, you're entitled to be frustrated but right now. That's just arrogance and entitlement.
0: Wow. Yeah. Great point right? And that's something to work through. Yeah. It's just like,
1: (laughs) you know, this takes a long time to get good at this, right? So this is kind of like take a deep breath and realize this is just part of like getting better at this, you know?
0: Yeah. And there's a cool point. There's a cool side to that or like using something like that as a focal point for growth um, you know, and like gaining tools that are necessary along the way in our growth. Like they point out places that we need healing or places that we need to kind of develop emotionally, like using kind of our passions and some of those challenges, um, as, as tools.
1: Right. And I think like, you know, our potential is not like to use your word. is not just in your music, right. Our potential is just like in everything that we do,
0: Yes, right? exactly. Like,
1: it, is like, it is being fully actualized, right? It is it is being a better husband or wife, it is being a better sibling, is it is better being a better person, It's being a better friend, right? Yep. Like important things like that, right?
0: A hundred percent. I
1: think that sometimes if we those sort of at work looking tasks kind of give us a little bit more perspective, right? Yeah. Like, you know. Like when I feel down, I'm, look, I'm not trying to sound self-righteous or anything, but I try to do a lot of sort of introspection to feel better as well. And there are moments when I feel down and like, I'll make sure to find something for that homeless person to eat. Yeah. Right? It feels
0: good. It feels it's like you're giving, right, you're loving.
1: Right? Like here I am feeling sorry and this person doesn't even have food to eat. You know what I mean? So I think those sort of those outward shaping activities and things just kind of give us perspective that um, yes.
0: you know, like
1: this is... You know that we're pretty should be pretty grateful we can even pursue a dream.
0: <clears throat> Absolutely, hey! I so I asked you what failure was to you. Now, yeah. al- alternatively, what is success or greatness? What is that to uh, you?
1: Greatness is, is just on a sports level; it's feeling invincible. Mm. It's like. Going for it. It's not going for. It's like you've you gotten so good that no situation will fluster you. That you're prepared for everything, and and you're the best at it every single way. Like <clears throat> there's something about basketball which is very unique to me because like the situations are always changing, right? Like the the game sequence and. No one's going to stand in the same place every single time the same way, right? Like versus track and field where it's like a linear race where there's no one in front of you, you know. And so, to me, being able to be such a ninja that you've that no matter what situation you see, you still are fantastic, right? Yeah. And then I think when people ask me like, "What else is greatness to me?" Greatness is also no matter how hard it is to get to the top, it's even harder to stay there.
0: Mm.
1: And when I see like certain athletes, like. Look, I've had the good fortune of working with LeBron James a little bit. He's absolutely extraordinary. I don't think people understand. He's been in the NBA 17 years, and he's always at the top. Yep. Like, I don't think – it's one thing to be, like, I mean, just be a best-selling, like, musician two years in a row, but to do it for 17 years?
0: Sure. It's not easy. (laughs) <laughs>
1: it's not, it's like you're constantly reinventing yourself. And that to me is like extraordinary greatness, right? Yep. And I think, um, you know, but we all have different levels of greatness, right? There's, there's one LeBron James, like there's one Michael Jackson, like there's one Madonna, like there's one Bono, or there's one, you know, Picasso. I mean, there's one, right? Sure. But I think we all sort of like uh, um, be selfishly. I hope people care so much that they all, they all want to find their own greatness, you know?
0: Whatever um, that may be, you know? Yeah, and like that, you said, it's, it's not greatness. Yeah. It's not just about a- actualizing your job, like you said, like be- getting the perfect job. It's about actualizing yourself and your full potential of all that you are at the core. Sure. And, then, and then maybe a great job will follow that, but it's just like sure. really, like we said, actualizing yourself, uh, being the Look, best I, you can be.
1: The one thing that when people say to me, like what is really unique about high level, world famous professional athletes? And I'll say to you, when you're in a room with them where you first meet them, there's almost that there is this, there is a, like a glow around each of them. It's like a circle that sort of encompasses them. That when they walk into a room, there's something very special about them. Like it's, it's like they're superhuman, like almost cartoon characters. Like there's this invincibility of like this yellow glow that they have, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and when younger players ask me, like, what makes Steph Curry so special, I just tell them he has that yellow glow. But what makes him even more spectacular is that he doesn't even know he has it.
0: Wow, that's a and great his point. Yeah,
1: is just extraordinary. It's his modesty, his kindness. He's gentle, and he doesn't even know that he has his yellow glow, right? Mm. But whoever comes around and you feel it, right? but what yeah. makes him so unusual of unusual, unusual is that he doesn't even know he has it, right? So to me, if you're asking me, like, what would be the most amazing thing is to be so extraordinary to not even know you have it,
0: right? Wow. Because then you just, if you don't even know you have it, then it keeps you striving and it makes you even more great. Yeah. Right? And like,
1: and you're not caught up with yourself. Right? I always tell people like, make sure you smack me if I think I'm too good, you know? Like, yeah. Just to- Right? You know, just we never
0: peak. We never peak. There's oh, there's this endless um, potential. Yeah, yeah. Like
1: humility is extraordinary, right? Yeah, like absolutely. people prefer a bit of attention to themselves and like, you know, defer to others and like you know, I like I never asked Steph this, but I always wondered this and, like I think I know him well enough to be able to kind of hypothesize. When he would go to the podium after games, he'd bring his daughter with him. And I always thought it was sort of a form of like deferring the attention away from himself. Right? So people mm-hmm. would focus on his daughter and other things versus him. Wow. You know, it's why like he's just an incredibly unassuming rock star. Yeah. Right? Because um, it's like pushing the attention away, even though like, because right. it's, um, it's just not like a normal thing to do. Right? I think sometimes athletes bring their children on the stage mm-hmm. like that. To be able to sort of defer a little bit of the attention away from themselves.
0: Wow. You know? Yeah, of course. Of course. Question. Yeah. Is, do you feel like, I mean, you're, you're training people yeah. all the time yeah. to become great, to become the best versions of themselves. And sure. is there a template or a clear path that there is to follow in that for you? Or is it just like, Getting to know the person and it's it's different for each one.
1: Um, like I always say, I don't know what I have until I look under the hood, right? And so when you have sort of one on one kind of sort of responsibilities for each athletes, yeah, things are very sort of customized, right? And people's approaches are different and my approach is different and programs are different and all that. If you're asking me like, is that something that could scale? Um I tried it in my book, in the hoops whisper book, right? And yeah. just not being it, it wasn't people ask me what the book is, I say, it's kind of, um, on a macro level, it's about the importance of relying on your intuition and faith, but a non-religious context to find your purpose in life. On a micro level, it's sort of about kind of how I went from one universe I didn't really belong into another universe I didn't really belong in as well. But the book is like designed to kind of, in like a series of sort of anecdotes that are lessons, right? that I see as really important in order to be able to find like the best version of yourself or the best version of someone you work with, right? Mm-hmm. That again, it's not about a drill, it's about a philosophy, right?
0: Okay.
1: So um, like I one of the chapters I wrote was like, uh, you know, uh, God gives us the ingredients, not the recipe, right? Mm-hmm. Which is that like everyone's sort of responsible to find their their way to make their pizza the best, right? We all have our bread, we all have the sauce, our cheese, our toppings, but how do you want to make it right? And to me, I think uh, when you build programs for people, or you, when you work with people, it's about understanding like um, who, how would they enjoy the pizza the most and how would the pizza make, you know, be best for them, right? What and do they want you, out of it? Sometimes there is no sauce, right? Sometimes there is no bread. Sometimes there is extra cheese, right? It just sort of depends on the person. Um, and i think it's just about being very uh, sensitive to that. i mean it's no different than you find an incredible singing coach, right? they're going to they, they're going to treat you different than they do Beyonce, right? i mean they just absolutely right?
0: it's a different Everyone
1: instrument. Sort of 100% right? and that's how i've always tried to be this way with my athletes, but at the same time there are very core principles, right? Mm. that are always emphasized, right?
0: dedication, like, consistency.
1: and even more even more sort of out of the box which is you really want to be a a motherfucker, you need to be completely unconventional. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Really. Because if you're not going to be a really good peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but that's not what I do, right? Right. You know, to me, it's like you have to be really, really, really unconventional and rethink all your prior ideas of what is training, what is greatness, what is good, what is effort, what is like... How do you treat your teammates and your coaches and your wife? Like all these things you have to like really rethink, you know? How do you move? How do you run? Right? Especially you've been doing this for 20 years and you become the best in the world. It's really hard on these athletes to be like, you know, you're asking me to do change something I've done my whole life. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm asking you to change it. Yeah. Just rethink. Right?
0: Ah, uh, yeah, for sure.
1: You know? And I think like um, that's one thing like I I see so much similarities with like in singing. It's like you're You've done something for so long a certain way, but when a really, really voice coach says to you, try it this way, and it works, you're thinking, oh my God, that's it, right? It's just yeah. it's like this un- It clicks, coach. yeah. Yeah, and so I always try to be very, very unconventional in my approach. One, because uh, I think it's vibes with who I am, and two, I think if you do it like everyone else, you become like everybody else.
0: Oh, hundred percent. And then you don't stand out, you know, it's just yeah, like, well, yeah. how, yeah. Where, how do I differ from the next guy? You know, and you're, yeah. you're, I've been reading up on some of your ways you do. It does say in some of these articles, um, you know, that you do have a metaphysical approach to some of your training. I'm so curious. I just want to ask, like, what does that look like? Is it just dealing um, with someone at the core on a spiritual level? No, I, I think it's like,
1: you know, it's not introducing to like, I don't introduce the material to them in a way that feels metaphysical or Buddhist or like Dalai Lama ish. I'm not, I'm not that enlightened person, you know, <laughs> but I think that I try to introduce things in a way to them, which is different, but if they do it, and they're very thoughtful with of it, I think it has sort of metaphysical consequences in a very positive way. Right. So um, like, uh, we all do this we all read about this but there's something incredibly poignant and metaphysical about learning how to breathe right but if you come at someone and like and in a very sort of uh, like medical psychological way talking to them about the importance of breathing they'll probably be pretty dismissive of it but if you allow them to sort of discover like the miracle of breathing properly you just there's a certain there's a metaphysical like like uh response to it there's a somatic response to the physiological response to it right that only through their own sort of like uh exploration do they discover and i think mm. the same way train, right you can get very very unusual drills that they might not understand but in a couple of weeks like if they, they guess buy into it they start realizing wow this really is translated into ways i never expected right?
0: right it's not just aligning with them in in a very heady kind of way it's it's aligning with them in just all over you know just energetically yeah, almost
1: like, for example like if i if i knew you had a big say you're going on tour right and you asked me to work with you i might have you wear a weighted vest for two weeks while you sing
0: oh wow <laughs> right?
1: because it, it sounds like well, why but to me the yeah. weighted vest is the burden of the audience it's the burden of the pressure it's the actual physical burden then when you take it off like it might feel really like like alive when you do freeing.
0: it freeing that's cool. I'm going to try but that, that. <laughs> but
1: that. But that's the example of like finding a very unconventional approach that like has a lot of sort of very positive like consequence if you kind of like believe in it. Because yes, yeah, it's very great. easy to just put you on a stage in the studio and have you record. But like, I feel like I could really ramp up anyone's training in an unusual way that when they went back to their own self, they feel like they have really made big strides. Oh, you
0: know, like absolutely. Quick, quick
1: questions. Yeah.
0: Yeah, man, that's really 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 cool. I I know I'm keeping you forever, but I just I ultimately I I love just hearing um all that you're talking about on on your path to greatness, inspiring others on their path to greatness and you know ultimately we're just kind of learning ourselves and we're, we're learning to use our passions in such a way that perfect and expand us into who we truly are. Uh, and ultimately it's a process, but I, I feel like it's well worth it.
1: (laughs) Oh, for sure. Look, I, I'm a very regular person, you know, like I'm not super tall. I'm not super big. I'm not super muscular. I'm a very regular person. You know, I just found that, uh, um, I just chose to take more of an irregular path. And because of that, like, I've had some beautiful highs and some tough lows. Um, but yeah, a lot of like,
0: life in between, though, I yeah, can imagine that
1: joyful life and a very like a life I tell people, I've lived an unimaginable life. Like I've done some of the really, really, really cool shit. Right. Because I just, um, I don't know, I was stubborn. Right. And mm. I trust my instincts and I trust my intuition. And I didn't have 47 different degrees and I didn't have all that stuff that everyone says is so necessary. Right. Just yeah. something felt right. And I just kept on listening to my belly. You know? So I just like, I was like, that sauce tastes right. Even though people told me that sauce doesn't taste very good. Right. And I just trusted my sauce and trusted my cheese and trusted my bread. And eventually I made some good pizza. Right. And that's why wow. I just encourage people just no matter what they say, just continue to sort of trust like your gut because it's, it's not lying to you, right? Especially if you're doing it for really right reasons, which it it gives you joy. Well, I can assure you that no matter what everyone's telling you, it's probably not right.
0: Wow. I'm going to leave you guys with that one because that is like a big word right there. Um, Don, thank you so much for for sharing your your wisdom and your greatness just uh, i i am like inspired to go take the world on today so uh
1: thank you for having me this has been a joy
0: of course and and you guys be sure to check out his books the hoop whisperer and if you have any kiddos or even if you don't like i love the simplicity in children's books check out it takes patience they're both on amazon um he's such an inspiration and if you want to know more about him you can go to his website That's I D A dot com, and don't forget you can now stream the love freak podcast on spotify so go do that and if you'd like to dive deeper in the content each week you can check out my partnership with patreon that offers you weekly journal prompts and other exclusive content to help you in your self-discovery process thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you this time next week on the love freak podcast thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the love freak podcast If you like what you heard, please subscribe. You can also follow me on Instagram at thelovefreak underscore. Don't forget that's F-R-E-Q. Or to find out more information, you can go to www.thelovefreak.me. Look for a new episode every Tuesday.